Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 10 through 20 again. And like I did last week, as y'all are turning there, I'm going to read several stanzas from the hymns that we've just sung. Because they remind us of where our strength is found. Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed. For I am thy, thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand. Upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Thou wast their rock, their fortress, and their might. Thou, Lord, their captain in the well-fought fight. Thou in the darkness drear, their one true light. Alleluia. Alleluia. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Most gracious Father, this indeed is my prayer, that you by your Spirit would give me words even now in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which you have called me. By your Spirit's help, might I speak boldly as I ought, and might we all be comforted with the word of grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, last week as we began this passage, we were reminded that our strength is not in ourselves, that our striving, as Martin Luther penned in that great hymn, would be losing, that, that our strength is in Jesus Christ, that we are to stand in the strength of His might. 
And this is the case because the, the, the enemy that we fight is not one that we can fight on our own. It's entirely unreasonable to think that we could stand against the devil and all of his schemes in our own power, in our own wisdom, in our own strength, in our own ability. We are far too weak for any of that. And so Paul tells us then in verse 13 that we are to take up the whole armor of God that we might be able to withstand in the evil day. Brent read from Isaiah 59 this passage that reminds us that as God looked out and saw the injustice and saw that there was no one to take up the cause, that he took up his armor, and it bears incredible resemblance to what Paul mentions here. He took up his armor, put it on, and went out to fight for his people. In other words, he redeems us. Even in the Old Testament, it wasn't in their own strength, it wasn't in their law-keeping, it wasn't in their righteousness that they stood but in the strength of the might of God, in the strength of the Lord of hosts, in his mercy, in his grace, in his power, in his righteousness, they stood. And so Paul now tells us nothing has changed. It is not in our strength that we stand, but in God's, in the Lord of hosts who fights for us. He is the one who has given us this armor. And so Paul again announces this imperative in verse 14. Stand therefore. Stand therefore. And then he gives this series of of past tense participles that that remind us that that we only stand, we we only have the strength to stand, We, we can only possibly stand if we are so close. It's not stand and put all of this stuff on. It's stand having put this stuff on. He's reminding us again, making it as explicit as he possibly can, that the only strength we have to stand is found in him and in him alone. So he says, stand therefore, verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth. This idea of having fastened on or having girded up your loins, having gathered up all the the, the cloth of your clothing so that you can move swiftly in battle reminds us of what Luke said in, in chapter 12. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamp burning. And this, of course, is pointing back to Exodus 12, where when they came and ate the Passover meal, they were to to be dressed and ready to go as they feasted on the Passover lamb in whom they had redemption. They were to be ready for the deliverance that was coming. That was how they were to be prepared. So having girded your waist in truth, the question then becomes, what is this truth that we are called to gird ourselves in. When we go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, we read this. In Him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. 
And in chapter 4, beginning in verse 20, we read, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. As we look at how Paul is dealing with truth, specifically in Ephesians, but this is broader in his writings, the truth that he has in mind here, that we are to gird about our waist, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're to to prepare ourselves with. That's what we're to tie ourselves up with that that we might be ready for battle. It's, It's the truth of Christ, the truth of the gospel of our salvation. Paul is again reminding us in each of these pieces of armor that the strength that we have comes from God himself, from Christ our Redeemer. And so he tells us, essentially, dress yourself in Jesus. Put on the new self that he has created after the image and likeness of God in true righteousness and true holiness. That's what this belt of truth is. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do we need to gird our waist with this truth? Well, remember what we talked about last week, what the schemes of the devil are. Their deceit, their temptation, they're stealing the word from us. Their oppression, it's sin, it's accusation. And what we need to confront all of that is to be girded in the truth of the gospel. That when we hear his deception, when we hear his accusations, when we hear him coming against us with all of these words, that we can say, no, this is the truth. I have been bought by the blood of the Lamb. I stand fast in Him, and none of your accusations can stand against me. As John puts it in 1 John chapter 2, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the one who speaks about us what is true. What we need to hear louder than the devil's accusations is Christ's proclamation that you are forgiven, that your sins have been washed away, that you stand in him, that no one will take any of those whom his father gave to him. That is the truth we need to hear when the devil comes with all of his schemes. And so Paul says, wrap it around your waist. It's an indispensable piece of armor. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Here we must be careful. There is a temptation, and indeed many point to this as saying, here's where your good works come in. Here's where you be righteous. And this is one way that you protect yourself, is by you doing righteous things. That is the breastplate. However, we run into a significant problem when we try to put this idea of our righteous works protecting us back into the context of Scripture. Throughout the Bible, 
As we read in Isaiah 59, 17, this breastplate of righteousness was first God's breastplate of righteousness. Implying that it is His righteousness that we are to put on. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, we're told, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In the original Greek, created there is a passive verb. It's not put on the new self that that you are, are creating, that you are training, and that you are shaping according to the righteousness of God. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to put on the new self that Christ himself has created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. All throughout the Pauline literature, Righteousness is used repeatedly to refer to the righteousness of God, to righteousness that is by faith or righteousness that is of faith, to the free gift of righteousness, to righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And frequently Paul contrasts the righteousness of the law with the righteousness of faith. For instance, in Philippians 3.9 we read, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul is not calling us here to go out and defend ourselves by being good. Our striving would be losing If this was our goal, if we were to say, okay, I'm going to go be righteous according to the law, and that will be my defense. There is a profound problem with this plan. And the problem is this. Still, this side of glory, we are at war with our very own flesh. Still, this side of glory, we are capable of sinning. Still, this side of glory, we fail. And even our righteous works are a mixed bag. Every one of us knows those moments where perhaps there's, there's been some situation that we needed to step into and help, and, and we stepped into it and helped. And in the back of our mind, though, there was this voice wondering, is anybody noticing? Are people, are people seeing that I'm stacking the chairs after the potluck? Are people seeing that, that I'm wiping the tables down? Are, are people seeing that the dish that I brought was incredible? Are people seeing, are people seeing my good works? Are people seeing my righteousness? See, that's the very problem that's the very problem with putting on our righteousness for any kind of protection is that satan can come to us and say oh you think you're quite righteous don't you you think you're quite clever putting on these good works don't you but i know what was in the back of your mind i know the pride that was there i know the underhanded reasons that you were also serving i know that it wasn't pure and here's the problem he's right every time he's right and our defense is destroyed but 
the righteousness of faith, the righteousness of God that comes by faith in Christ Jesus can withstand all accusations. Paul is not telling us here, put on your good works. He's telling us here, put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith. Dress yourself in him and his righteousness. Be strong in the strength of his might. And Satan will come with the accusations. Oh, but, but you're such a mixed bag. Oh, but you failed in this way. Oh, but you went to that website again. Oh, but you drank too much once again. Oh, but you've done this and this and this. And he'll be right about us, but he'll be entirely wrong about Jesus and his righteousness in which we are clothed. And he will have nothing to say to us. Because we are defined in Christ, not by our righteousness, but by the righteousness of Jesus, credited to our account and received only by faith. Put that on. Don't dare put on your own righteousness. It will fail. It will fail every time, but not the righteousness of Christ. Verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Once again, we have this idea of readiness that, that comes back to a, uh, Exodus chapter 12, where they're eating the Passover meal, ready for the redemption that God was going to bring, that he had promised to bring his people, that he would deliver them from Egypt with great wealth as they plundered the Egyptians. And he said, here's how you eat the Passover meal, dressed with your staff in hand and your sandals on your feet, ready to go. This is what the gospel does for us. It prepares us. It makes us ready to stand. It makes us ready to walk in the deliverance that he has given us. Do we see once again that it is the gospel that provides peace and readiness in every circumstance because it provides hope, security, and identity for us in Jesus Christ by freeing us from our sin and by freeing us from the curse of death and uniting us to Jesus Christ? Are we seeing the pattern yet? That we are entirely dependent on Jesus that what God is calling us to dress ourselves in through Paul in this passage is nothing less than him and his son and his armor that he first took up for us and now gives to us for our defense that we might stand in the strength of his might. So, so shoe your feet with the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Here again, 
We're driven back to faith. We're driven back to these gospel ideas. We're, we're driven back to, to, to weapons that we passively are protected by. You just stand behind the shield and it protects you. The, the, the Roman shield that would have been in view here was, was a four-foot wooden plank that was covered in leather that would be soaked in water before they went into battle so that when flaming arrows that they used were shot and they hit these soaked uh, uh, shields that they wouldn't catch the whole thing on fire and you could have a whole battalion with a wall around them and, and a roof above them of these shields being entirely protected. Paul says this is our faith. Do you trust Jesus Christ that he has you? Do you trust him that he will keep you, that he will not lose you? When he says in John chapter 6, all that the Father has given me, all that the Father has given me, I will lose none. What Paul is calling us to here is to believe that. In the throes of battle, in the face of persecution, in the face of temptation, in the face of suffering, in the face of struggling, believe that. God has me. Christ will keep me. Exercise that faith by the Spirit. That is our defense. All of these, all four of these, driving us back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not driving us to ourselves, not driving us to our good works, not driving us to our strength or our power or our ability, driving us away from ourselves to our Savior, Lord Sabaoth, His name, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, that is the one in whom we stand. The one who stood for us. He is our strength. That's what Paul drives us to here in the closing of this letter. Find your strength in him. Find your protection in him. He continues in verse 15. I'm sorry, in verse 17. And take up the helmet of salvation. A key piece of armor, something that protects your head, a shot to the head is, is obviously a deadly blow. And so what does he say to put on? The helmet of salvation. Do we see once again he's driving us to the gospel? Because our salvation has nothing to do with us. We contribute nothing to our salvation other than the need to be saved. That's it. Jesus has done it all. He fulfilled the law on our behalf. He died on the cross to pay for the sins of his people. He rose in victory over sin and death. His spirit applies the salvation and all the benefits that come with it to us. And, and Paul is saying, put this on your head. Cover your head. Cover yourself in that. How often do we fail to do this? 
rather than finding our hope and security and identity entirely in Jesus Christ, rather than finding our strength in the salvation that He has worked for us, that He has gained for His people, rather than looking to Him for all of this, we gird up our own loins with our strength. We put on our righteousness thinking that somehow it might protect us. We cover our head in our thinking that we are strong. And how often does this armor fail us? Every time. And so Paul gives us something entirely different. Jesus, the Son of God. And his righteousness in him. And his salvation in him. And Paul says, put that on. And having put it on, stand. Do you see that the only way to stand against the devil's schemes is dressed in Jesus? There is no other way. Next, Paul gives us in verse 17, in the second half, the the only offensive weapon that is found. And take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Here we have the the one offensive weapon in the entire list, this this sword of the Spirit. But, But what we find is once again, it drives us back to Christ. It drives us back to the one who is the word of God. It drives us back to scripture. It drives us back to that which Jesus himself clung to and used and employed in his temptation with the devil. Answering every temptation again and again with a quote from God's holy word. Because this word is what speaks the truth about who Christ is and who we are in him. And if we are going to answer the schemes of the devil, if we're going to answer the accusations, if we're going to see clearly through the deception, it will only be by the word of God. No other way. It will only be by the work of the Spirit in us. And what did Jesus tell his disciples in the farewell discourse that the Spirit would do? He would call to your mind all that I have taught you. See, the Spirit doesn't lead us away from the Word of God. He leads us back to the very Word of God. For he is God and he he can't contradict himself. And so Paul says, take up that. And if you must fight... If there must be an offensive blow, use the word of God. Stand strong with that. It will win. It will cut. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Take it up in your hand and nothing else. No wisdom of this world. No empty philosophies by which we are so easily deceived but the very word of God. Stand clothed in his armor, clinging to his word. 
Then he adds, verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Again, it shows us our dependence. For what is prayer but falling in utter dependence before God and calling on Him for help? And how can we do this but with the help of the Spirit? For so often in the throes of these sufferings and and persecutions and trials and struggles and accusations and deceptions, as Paul tells us in Romans 8, we don't even know what to pray. But the Spirit is there interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. Paul says, go to God this way. Go to God in the one who searches men's hearts. Go to God in the one who knows the Father's will. Go to Him at all times, in all prayer and supplication. That's what Paul is calling us to. At every point, it is dependence on Jesus Christ and His Spirit to work for us. That, my friends, is the normal Christian life. The victory that we have, the victory that we walk in, is not a victory that we gain. It is not a victory that we earn. It is not a victory that we accomplish. It is one that Jesus has accomplished for us, and that's what Paul is trying to get us to see. That if we will stand, it will only be in Jesus. But if we stand in Him, having clothed ourselves in all of these different ways that He comes at it with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will certainly stand. This is how we're to clothe ourselves. Paul then, building on this prayer idea, shows that that, that he doesn't see himself in, in, in any different light. He's no less dependent on God to work in him and through him than anybody else. This is a reminder that, that there aren't those who are, who are so mighty in the Lord, who are so mighty in faith, who are so mighty in righteousness, that somehow they're less dependent on Jesus. No, even the Apostle Paul here says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me. And also for me. Paul, who tells us in Philippians, as to the law, I'm blameless. He had done all the things. He had made the sacrifices. He had kept the rules. But the Spirit had shown him that he was utterly dependent on God, that he was utterly dependent on Jesus Christ, that he was utterly dependent on the gospel, that his law-keeping didn't cut it, that he needed someone's blood like him to be shed, and this is what Christ came to do. And so Paul says, pray for me also. We're tempted to think when we reach some imaginary level of righteousness or, or, or when we've convinced the people around us that we've reached some imaginary level of righteousness that somehow we're less dependent. 
dear Christians, if Paul was utterly dependent, so are you. And so am I. And so he says, lift one another up in this way. Praying also for me, and specifically the prayer for him. And I would ask that this be your weekly prayer for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Remember who this is. This is Paul, the proclaimer of the gospel. The one from, from whom so much of our theology is found in his didactic letters that he wrote explaining what justification is and what Jesus did. And, and all of these grand gospel theological ideas. This one, if anybody knew their theology and could stand and speak in their own understanding it was Paul yet here he says no that's not how this works at all the only thing I have to say is that which God himself gives me to say that's it that's it preachers don't go to seminary to learn the gospel so that they're less dependent on God. That's not why we go to seminary. We go to seminary to learn how to deal with God's word, to learn his word. And and ultimately, at the end of seminary, we should see, and if we don't, we have failed, and our seminary has failed, we should see more clearly that we are utterly dependent on Jesus Christ and His Spirit if anything will happen in our ministry. We don't go to seminary to learn the tips and tricks to grow a church. We go to seminary to learn, as Paul did, that we are utterly dependent. And if we would preach, it will be because the Spirit has filled our mouth with his words. That's where Paul stood. Even the Apostle Paul, even the the, the preacher of the gospel, probably, it's safe to say, unmatched in history, in ministry, saw himself, even in the task that he was so good at, he saw that he was only good at it. Because God filled his mouth with his words. That is the power of ministry. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim what? The mystery of the gospel. Again, Paul takes us back to that. Stand in Jesus Put on his armor, wear Jesus Christ, wear the righteousness of God that is yours by faith in Christ. Put on the gospel, be ready, because that's what I'm proclaiming to you. And pray that God would fill my mouth with words of gospel, of good news, of victory in Jesus Christ, that I may proclaim him boldly as I ought. If Paul got anything and wants us to get anything from this passage, it is our utter dependence on Jesus 
and the confidence that we have in that position. That's where Paul wants us to stand. In the confidence of the finished work of Jesus Christ that declares us righteous. Stand there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it drives us back again and again to Christ who is our hope, to Christ who is our strength, reminding us that we must be clothed in him. And apart from him, the flesh is no help at all. So, Father, would you teach us that by your spirit that we might, having been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, stand. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of scripture and theology.